All right. Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I'll be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Oh, we can't um, hear you. Oh. Can't no. hear me? Okay. Um, good evening from Israel. Um, really, today I would say that quite a lot happened, um, and probably it's the first day of really strong campaigning. Lots of arguments today, lots of outreach in places uh, you know, uh, less than expected. Let's start with the big news of today, and we saw Prime Minister Netanyahu, the same Prime Minister Netanyahu, who criticizes anyone of even touching someone slightly to the left of him, going to an Arab city and basically calling on them to vote for Likud. Uh, this is the Prime Minister who said uh, uh, not uh, too long ago that uh, on the day of the elections that it, it's, uh, everyone has to go out and vote. The Likud uh, uh, rule of the country is in danger because the Arabs are flocking to the uh, to the voting booths. Uh, that was, as we know, after it was just uh, basically a ploy. It's what many call in Israel a gewalt moment, a moment, which Netanyahu usually employs the day before elections to make sure that uh, he attracts some last-minute voters uh, to vote for him. It's usually based on, to put it mildly, some non-truths or some exaggerations. There's been quite a few of them uh, over the years. Uh, but that was the most famous, and today he went to Nazareth, which is an Arab town, uh, not to be confused with Upper Nazareth, which is a non-Arab town, a Jew more Jewish, predominantly Jewish uh, town, and he sort of apologized for those comments. He said he, he never meant all Arabs, he meant those who are going to vote for the joint list, the joint Arab list, uh, but if his uh, comments were misunderstood, he apologized. So wasn't exactly an, an apology and certainly uh, all the media were showing the original comments and there was no mention of the joint list. It was Arabs without any further designation. Uh, but the fact is we had a prime minister uh, from the Likud party today campaigning in an Arab uh, city. There's talk uh, that he, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, worked it out with the Likud Central Committee that he will have four um, uh, places that he can put personal choices on the list. The rest of the Likud list is going to remain as it is, and he's going to have four. I think only two are in realistic positions. Um, but what uh, seems to have come out is one of them is going to go to an Arab. There was talk that he was offering it to the mayor of Nazareth, uh, but the mayor of Nazareth said uh, he will not be sitting in the Knesset. Now it remains to be seen whether he was offered it and he rejected it or not at all. Uh, but what's interestingly come out of this, as we know from the last few weeks, there's been a lot of outreach between Netanyahu and one of the parties in the joint list, the Islamist party of uh, Mansour Abbas. And we heard Mansour Abbas talking very uh, cordially about Netanyahu and it's time for the Arab public to join the government or at least work with the government. And he sees no problem with working with the right-wing government, et cetera, et cetera. 
Well, today certainly put pay to that. Mansour Abbas, along with all the other uh, joint list leaders, have basically condemned this. Uh, some of them, most of them, uh, ideologically, but also because they don't want the threat of someone taking away their votes. Now, according to uh, uh, released internal Likud polls, they claim, Likud claims, that they can get at least two seats uh, from the Arab public. Now, why is that important? Because what we're seeing at the moment is every single vote counts. The numbers are so tight at the moment. Netanyahu is being a little bit boxed in, so he's trying to reach out to other audiences. Now, it remains to be seen whether he really do have that, has, does have those uh, two seats, but it's clear that he's trying to do it another, uh, that, that I, I basically, uh, I think that part of it is also distraction and deflection to make sure and Netanyahu is very good at this, to make sure that he controls the agenda. Nothing else is talked about. When Netanyahu decides to do something like this, especially something relatively extreme, uh, nothing else is talked about. He holds the agenda. And in elections, I can tell you, as someone who works on a lot of campaigns, there's one rule. Uh, if you're responding, you're losing. You have to hold the agenda. And Netanyahu is the king of holding the agenda. So there will probably be other surprises, and it probably is a tactic to try and get some uh, votes from the other side of the, uh, the political spectrum. But it certainly already rebounded on him to a certain extent uh, with uh, Mansour Abbas, who's now very much being pushed back into the joint list, as some were uh, assessing that he could be on his way out. Uh, but now he's very much uh, you know, uh, in lockstep with the rest but also it'll be very hard from now on for Netanyahu to slam anyone as left-wing or as uh, reaching out to Arabs because he's gone and done far more than any other Zionist party. Uh, and I don't include merits because they themselves don't, uh, don't uh, describe themselves as uh, Arab, uh, as Zionist. Uh, no Zionist party has gone as far as uh, uh, Netanyahu did today by openly courting the Arab uh, votes. Uh, there was a demonstration by some of the joint list and some of the former uh, members of Knesset, uh, like Hanin Zawabi. Um, but what was interesting is there wasn't, it wasn't that great. It wasn't that big. Um, some say as few as 20 or 30, uh, but it was probably more like a, between 100 and 200. Now, again, that could indicate something. And, and you know, the Israeli media has been very interested in looking into this and saying, is there an opportunity to bring Arab votes across. And don't forget, Arab citizens make up 20% of the uh, country. Uh, is there a possibility of bringing Arab votes across to some of the you know, mainstream parties, quote unquote, Zionist parties? And most will say that there is a possibility because they feel that the joint list has not really uh, you know, uh, met their interests. You know, they're more interested in the Palestinian arena and fighting Israel and BDS and even voting against normalization agreements. One uh, thing that the Israeli media brought up today is the fact that Arab Israelis are going to the Emirates and Bahrain in massive numbers. And so when the so-called political leaders are condemning these normalization agreements, which allow this to happen, they're out of step with their community. So that's certainly something to, to look for. And it's clear that Netanyahu believes that there is something there uh, whether he does get these two seats, we don't know, but uh, uh, it's obviously a person who needs to look for every seat that he can because the numbers at the moment are not there. 
which brings us to uh, Gidon Saar, the main challenger at this point. Gidon Saar did something very interesting today, uh, which, which was, wasn't a major headline, but it just shows exactly where he's going. He brought in Danny Diane. Now, many of you from New York will remember him uh, up until recently as um, Consul General of Israel in New York. And uh, what I understand, he was very popular. Um, but what's most important about Danny Diane is he's a former leader of the Yesha Council, the Council for uh, Judea and Samaria. So he is a person with, uh, who burnishes pretty right-wing uh, credentials. Uh, so what Saar is doing with that is he's basically trying to get as many right-wing voters from Likud as possible. Perhaps it's even coordinated with some of his wider partners. There was a call this week um, uh, for Avigdor Liebman basically to say, there's no point in us joining now. Don't forget Avigdor Liebman has tried uh, joining two parties and the sum of two parties is never as much as uh, 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 together as it is apart. But he's saying that we should coordinate as a block after. He's referring to uh, Gidon Saar's uh, New Hope Party, um, Naftali Bennett's Jemina Party, his own party, and Yair Lapid's uh, Yeshatid, and they all coordinated a vote-sharing agreement recently. So there's obviously a lot of coordination and talk there. Um, and Gidon Saar perhaps is really the one most suited to go out and try and win as many votes from Likud as possible. Uh, another big move this week was the breakup of Yamin, or at least uh, Bezalel Smotrich. We've talked about this in the past, uh, the leader of what was called the National Union. Now he's calling uh, his new party the Religious Zionist Party. Um, and basically, there appears to be no love lost between uh, Bennett and Smotrich. Bennett was on the main news basically saying Smotrich is... Uh, basically deciding that he only wants to go with uh, Netanyahu and he and Bennett himself wants to reach out to uh, to greater audiences. Smotrich was always a bit of a problem for Bennett because while Bennett um, is not as extreme on him on, on certainly on religious issues and even on political uh, diplo uh, diplomatic issues security issues Bennett has always tried to reach out uh, but while he has Smotrich and his people in the party it's uh, always a bit difficult to reach out uh, across the divide, even to the center, center left, uh, because Smotrich holds views on many issues, which are especially on religion and state and, and uh, let's say gay rights, for example, um, which are more extreme than Bennett. So the two of them are split. Uh, there was a poll a couple of weeks ago, which may have led to this split that says that Bennett will get more seats uh, without uh, Smartridge. The recent polls have actually shown that at the moment that doesn't appear to be true. Uh, Bennett, in fact, even lost a seat. Uh, Smartridge isn't meant to pass the, uh, the electoral threshold at this point, but a lot of people are assessing that, especially if he joins with some other key figures on the religious right, he probably will or may just uh, scrape through. Um, but there were a lot of fights today between uh, Bennett and Smartridge, who, who snapped back. Uh, and even Bennett called uh, Gidon Saar's party a bubble party, a party created uh, by some, um, you know, uh, graphic designers in Tel Aviv. Um, and Saar obviously uh, uh, sniped back on that. So there's, there's a lot of uh, sniping there on the right, but there's obviously also a lot of coordination. But, you know, sometimes in campaigns, you can keep good ties behind the scenes, but in, in, in the front, on the stage, you know, you, you've got to fight for every vote. So it's clear 
at this point that every single vote matters because the numbers are so tight. Netanyahu, as we've talked about before, doesn't have a path to, to uh, continuing uh, to rule uh, Israel without either Bennett or Saar joining, maybe even both he'll need. Uh, that depends on the numbers. That's why, as I said, every, every number uh, counts. Whereas the anti-Netanyahu block uh, does have the numbers or very, very close to it, according to recent polls. Uh, just, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, note uh, what happened yesterday in Syria. Um, again, it's not something uh, that the IDF openly states and certainly not something the Israeli government um, has admitted to, but we saw uh, some action in the really furthest reaches of Syria, close to the Iraqi border, where some Iranian entrenchments, some arms depot, etc., was uh, bombed. Uh, Probably, you know, I, I don't have any inside information, but it would seem that it was probably uh, achieved by the uh, Israel Air Force. And it was a real message, probably uh, for President Biden takes office, that Israel really will not allow uh, Iran to have a foothold anywhere in Syria. There's this attempt by Iran to really create a situation like Hezbollah has in Lebanon. Uh, they want to create a situation similar to that in Syria and really uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, embolden the threat on Israel in case they take any action over the Iranian nuclear program. Um, so there's been quite a few sorties in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly been wrapped up again, probably because they want to get in as much as possible before President Trump leaves office and President Biden comes in because they know they have a freer hand there. Uh, there's a whole debate exactly whose intelligence helped who. Uh, the Americans took, uh, took credit, or at least you know, behind the scenes or, or off the record with some of the major media outlets, but there's a lot of people in Israel say that the intelligence Israel gives America is far greater than uh, the reverse. But these were all side issues. Uh, everyone in Israel is sort of waiting to see what's going to happen. There doesn't seem, there is no hope or no expectation that anything uh, large will happen in the last uh, week of the uh, Trump administration. So uh, everyone in Israel is just waiting to see what uh, the Biden administration brings. There is obviously all this talk about returning to the JCPOA, um, but Iran at the moment are driving a hard bargain. They want uh, all sanctions lifted, and they certainly don't want to talk about other issues. Uh, President-elect Biden has talked about uh, perhaps bringing other issues into the, the nuclear uh, agreement with uh, Iranian uh, role. Uh, certainly through its proxies and the, um, uh, what, what it's doing in, in the wider region. So there's a lot, uh, a lot going, on, uh, going on here in Israel and around the region. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is, what are the chances that Arab voting will tilt towards strengthening Israel, just like the new peace agreements with neighbors? After all, isn't there a realization that cooperation is more beneficial than opposition? And last part of this, what's wrong with Netanyahu politicking? Well, the, the, the second one, it's, I mean, it's, it depends which way you look at it. His supporters would say, that's politics. You, you've got to do what you can. On the other hand, you've got someone who's criticized anyone for even moving slightly to the left of what he perceives as the left. And here he's going into really the heartland of even what's been historically a, a real rejectionist uh, sort of camp. And
And, you know, he's outreached to the Islamist party, not even the Communist Party, which is sort of a mixture of Jews and Arabs. This is the Islamist party of Mansour Abbas that he's reached out to. So, you know, if, if you wanted to be supportive, you'd say that's politics. If you wanted to be, uh, uh, you know, a little less, less uh, credit to him, you'd say this is really cynical for someone who, you know, only in, in the last few years has done everything to uh, estrange the Arab uh, population, whether it's the nation state law or other things. Um, but certainly um, that's, that's a debate to be had whether you support uh, this or not. It doesn't seem to have hurt him yet, but as I said, it's still, the ramifications are still not known. It depends who he's going to bring in, uh, which if he is going to bring an Arab into one of these uh, places, which he holds on the liquid list. Uh, on the first part of the question is, is certainly a, a pertinent one, and there is this discussion. It's clear that there is this discussion in the Arab street. Um, how much should, how much should uh, support should we give to the joint list, which on the whole hasn't really delivered? There's a lot of talk about it hasn't delivered. They may identify with them. Uh, they may identify with their, uh, say, diplomatic or political position vis-a-vis. -vis excuse me, the Palestinians, but as far as actually doing something for them, as they're always in opposition and you know, hard to work with, they haven't really delivered that much. Um, Netanyahu claimed today that he's delivered a lot. Uh, he's built quite a few police stations the Arab, for, for the Arab street. It's very important. Security, law and order. There are murders frequently. There's robberies, there's protection, uh, rackets, mafia. And a lot of the Arab, the average Arab person in some of these areas just doesn't feel safe. There are people who just don't go out at night. So Netanyahu can point to, uh, you know, creating budgets for greater law enforcement and law and order. And certainly there are some in the Arab uh, sector who are giving him credit for it. Uh, but what it does is, is it definitely puts uh, the Arab vote in play. And we saw according to recent polls at least, the Arab joint list, which uh, currently is at 15, has been around the 10 or 11 mark. So it does seem to be hurting them, uh, this conversation. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's a relatively new conversation. Can they uh, reach out and uh, create some sort of working uh, uh, solution, like, for example, the ultra-Orthodox, even if they don't love each other's ideology, there's a working uh, relationship and each side can benefit. So there is this discussion, it remains to be seen exactly, and we'll only know after the elections exactly how many uh, in the Arab sector came out and voted for uh, parties other than uh, the Arab joint list or the extreme left in merits, because that's also a party which uh, has almost today almost a, a half uh, Arab uh, membership on its uh, party list. And what is the political status of Bugi Alam? Is he a key player? Um, not really. Uh, he's basically running on his own. He decided to leave Yeshatid. Uh, you know, it was at the party was called Yeshatid Telem. Yeshatid was uh, is uh, Yair Lapid's party. Telem is uh, Bugi Alon's party, uh, and they broke up. No poll has shown that uh, Yalon's party will get over the threshold at this point. Uh, probably he's looking to join others. By the way, uh, I know the question didn't refer to him, but uh, we should mention at this point, you know, their, their, their former partner, uh, Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz is still very much uh, just over the threshold 
four or five seats. But uh, what he did the other day, which was, I, uh, I, I didn't understand it as a strategy. He called all the uh, center, center left, center right parties to meet with him to discuss some sort of union. None of them turned up. That's always a very silly strategy to make a public a meeting and then no one turned up. But it does seem like Ron Khordai, who's created the party, the, he was the mayor of Tel Aviv, the Israelim, the Israeli, Israelis party. Uh, there is some, there are some contacts there. So the question is, why is Gantz a player? And Gantz is a player not because he brings so much in terms of votes to the table. What he does bring is big budgets because the Israeli um, election budgets are basically according to how many seats you have in the Knesset. And Benny Gantz has a lot of seats, even though many of the actual MKs have deserted him for other parties, he still gets the budget for all of their seats. So he's walking around with tens of millions of shekels in potential uh, uh, campaign budget. And a party like Ron Khodai, which doesn't have a budget, or certainly doesn't have that kind of budget, uh, it could be very useful. So. There, is, there are reports of negotiations, so it could be that at the end, Juan Khodai and Benny Gantz will run together. Uh, but also, don't forget Benny Gantz and Avi Nissenkorn, who is Juan Khodai's number two, had a major falling out. Um, but I think those are the kind of things that can be repaired, especially when there's interest, when there's money on the table and, uh, and, and all that that brings. So yesterday we, we received news of uh, Sheldon Adelson's passing. Will this have any effect on uh, the pending court cases against prime minister, prime minister or Israeli politics? Um, very possibly. There is talk about, you know, uh, Netanyahu has three cases against him. The weakest one, which is called uh, Case 2000, is the one uh, where basically there was, again, this is uh, what, what he's been accused of, is making a deal with uh, uh, the leader of Yediot Achonot, which was the former uh, largest circulating paper in Israel until uh, Sheldon Adelson opened Yisrael Ayom. Um, and basically, uh, according to the case against Netanyahu, Netanyahu basically made a deal with uh, Noni Moses, who's the head of Yedidot, that he would uh, hamper Yisrael Ayom's sales, especially its weekend sales, which are the greatest of any paper, um, for positive coverage in Yediot. Shelton Adelson was a key witness in this. He was apparently, when he heard about this, uh, the secret deal, uh, because they actually have recordings of it, uh, Shelton Adelson was furious and actually uh, gave evidence uh, on this uh, against Netanyahu. And the fact that he's now no longer able to give it in a trial could certainly hamper the prosecution's case. Uh, we go back to Edward Ormert's case, former prime minister also on trial in the past. And there was a similar situation where a key witness died. And certainly um, the justices did not hold the same weight for what happened during a police investigation to an actual trial where a person came in and gave evidence. So it could certainly hurt uh, that particular case, but that is the weakest case. That's the one with, uh, with uh, the, the, the sort of lightest charge, um, but it certainly could have an effect uh, on that. But the, the strongest case is case thousand and uh, Adelson uh, doesn't uh, appear to be involved in that case. Thank you. And what is the significance of the recent news of, of approval for the construction of 800 homes in the settlement areas? Is this only talk as usual or is this to see what Biden's reaction would be? 
Um, well, there's an interesting, also, again, just going back, you know, we own a campaign that so everything has to be looked through the lens of a campaign. Also, to a certain extent, as, as you stated, uh, or as the questioner asked, uh, the Biden administration is coming in, probably it's better to do something like that eight days before than eight days after, especially with the history there with, uh, with uh, Joe Biden when he was uh, vice president. Uh, but usually, as, a, you know, as, as we know in, in any sort of uh, town planning or building permits, there, there's a lot of stages. Uh, this is the earliest stage. Um, so it remains to be seen what will happen. Usually when these things are announced, they do go eventually into an actual building, but sometimes that can take years. Uh, but probably this came out now uh, because they know that they'll get very little uh, pushback from the Trump administration. And as I said, it's better to do this before Biden comes in. It'll be interesting to see uh, what Netanyahu does mm -hmm. after Biden comes in, because there is a, a big movement of the more, let's say, the more extreme settler leadership, uh, which would like to retroactively uh, legalize many of the outposts, because that was another one of Netanyahu's former promises, and nothing happened with that. Uh, so there's even a... a, a um, a protest outside uh, Netanyahu's house. And I think even people are on some sort of, um, what, what do you call it, starvation uh, a protest. What's it called? Uh, I, can't, I can't remember what the word is, but you know what I mean? Someone who, who won't eat until they achieve their objectives. I'm sure someone else can correct me on that, exactly what the terminology is. Thank you. I can't think of it either now that you said that. Um, so can you comment on the current status of COVID and the vaccination process? Well, Israel still leads uh, per capita, or I think way ahead of everybody else. We're up to 20%. The last few days have certainly seen a stalling of that. Um, in, you know, we were up to 150,000 a day, and now I think there's only been 100,000 since the beginning of the week. Some claim that's because already there's the second shot that many people are getting. So it's hard to do the second shot and the first shot. And also there was a bit of a delay, it seems like, or at least a break in the Pfizer deliveries. Uh, another one is coming tomorrow night, I, I believe of half a million more uh, vaccines. But uh, there was a lot of talk this week exactly what Pfizer are getting from this. And it seems, again, without seeing the contracts because the contracts have not been made public, that Israel is giving a lot of information to Pfizer. We're sort of, to a certain extent, one big experiment uh, for Pfizer. Um, but uh, according to health authorities, the, um, the, the first shots uh, program is gonna be going ahead full steam uh, as of tomorrow. Uh, but what is on, on, the, on the optimistic side, even though the numbers in Israel are very high, um, there does seem to be a difference between areas that received the first shot and those that didn't. In other words, uh, coronavirus seems to be spreading much more rapidly <coughs> in areas where there was no shots at all or, or fewer shots. So that's a reason why a lot of the experts in Israel um, in the medical uh, field are showing, are saying that there's some optimism that even the first shot is showing some difference and, and having some effect um, but we're already into the second shots for many people, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the coming days. Thank you. Uh, so the word is hunger strike that we were looking for. Hunger strike. <laughs> Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Um, the 
possible last question here is, will Shahs and ultra-Orthodox join with Netanyahu? Yes, um, it, it's clear. I mean, they, they will unless uh, they see a benefit with going someone else. The last thing the ultra-Orthodox uh, want to do is stay out of the government. So they're most likely, they, they would prefer to go with Netanyahu. He's been loyal to them, they're loyal to him. But if they see that Gidon Saar will form the next government, they will quite clearly move across to him and basically try and make a deal. So there's a certain amount of loyalty, but at the end of the day, for the ultra-Orthodox parties, Shas and uh, United Torah Judaism, for them, it's more important to be in the government than be loyal to any particular leader. Understood, thank you. And who do you th think won't win from Yeshatid? Who won't win from Yeshatid? Yes, which person yeah. won't win from Yeshatid? I don't understand the question. The leader is Yair Lapid. They're okay. not holding primaries as far as I'm aware. So I'm not sure I can answer that. <laughs> okay. And uh, I know we went over this last week, but for any new viewers, can you just uh, give us an update again? Or the reasons. Uh, is Israel providing vaccine to West Bank and Gaza? Oh, um, well, certainly things have changed. I, I, I did talk about that last week, and there was no particular reason why Israel should. Legally, morally, ethically, uh, Palestinians have ordered um, uh, the Sputnik vaccine from, uh, from Russia. They've even ordered the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine. Uh, they're even going to get from the World Health Organization. But over the last week, perhaps because they've realized that they can get some play out of it, now for the first time, they're saying that Israel has an obligation to also give them uh, vaccines, which is clearly not true. It's not true in the Oslo Accords. It's not true of any agreement that Israel signed with the Palestinians. Palestinians have uh, complete health autonomy. Uh, Israel has, it seems, sent over a few hundred, maybe a few thousand vaccines. It's unclear exactly who they're for, probably some of the leaders. Uh, neither side are admitting this openly. Uh, but the Palestinians are now trying to get a bit of play out of the fact that Israel hasn't given them where, it had, where they've had their own health autonomy. Israel has no obligation to send. Um, and the Palestinians have, as I said, they've, they've ordered uh, millions uh, of vaccines either from Oxford, the Oxford AstraZeneca or from the Russian program. So there's no particular reason why they need to rely on Israel. As I said, they have complete autonomy when it comes to vaccines, according to Oslo Accords, they have the obligation to provide vaccines to their own population. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for speaking with us this week. Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Robert Spencer on visiting the implications if Muhammad never existed. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.